If you have a paper copy of your Bibles with you or have it on your phone, you might want to keep it open because there are a lot of stuff that um, I'm going to refer to that we're not going to read. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to read you some samples from Acts chapter 2. It's kind of a big deal, Acts chapter 2 in the whole Bible. And so it's a really exciting chapter, so you get to look forward to that. Um, before I do read that, just want to remind you that the Bible is not so much a textbook that at the end of the day we read and study together because we're looking for advice on how to live. The Bible's not primarily a textbook. The Bible's not written to give us advice. The Bible is a story. The Bible is a story that has four parts. And those four parts are creation and rebellion and redemption and restoration. And that, those four parts, is the reality by which we see everything. It's the story of reality. And God has given it to us in the Bible. So from beginning to end, we actually can understand the answers to the most profound questions that we have. Where did I come from? What in the world has happened? How can this be fixed? And where are we going the four parts of the story answer those questions that tells us about creation and sin and rebellion and brokenness and what Jesus did and where everything's going. It's pretty good to think about the Bible as a story, isn't it? And by God's grace, we get to live into that story. So hear this. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, the first 12 verses, and then we'll jump around. Listen to this. This is the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? Now, after this uh, amazing event that we just read about, uh, Peter begins to explain what happens. Because if you look in verse 13 that I didn't read, in verse 15, you'll find out that people saw this and some people thought, man, these people are drunk. And part of the response is, no, they're not, it's only noon. Not yet, they're not drunk yet. <laughs> it can't be that. So Peter then begins to explain what's going on, and this is what he does. I'm going to read it in just a second, starting in verse 16, but he starts quoting the Old Testament from a prophet that we actually studied together, Joel, the book of Joel. This is what Peter says. Look at verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and your daughters, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Then verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Then Peter picks up and continues to talk about what Jesus did. And he explains that in verses 22 all the way through verse 32. And then he concludes with this as a summary of Jesus. Listen to verse 32 and through 36. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, skip down to verse 37. We pick up the rest of the story. Verse 37 reads this. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Then in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How about that? It's kind of encouraging, isn't it? Now, obviously, we can't talk about everything in this chapter, so we're going to try to get at the highlights of what we see and what we read here. But let's, before we jump into that, let's ask God to help us. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, this is your word, and we sit here because we need your word to come into our lives. It's, it's amazing to read this story, Lord. It, it really is amazing to see how you act on the world, that you, Jesus, um, came here, that you, you literally came to this world in time and space in history and walked and talked and learned how to eat and, and communicated with people and, and healed and ultimately even went to the cross. And it was for a purpose. It was for the purpose of loving your church. It was for the purpose of redeeming, saving, changing, 
people like us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand these words today, that you would help us to understand this chapter and that you too would continue to change us and make us more like our Savior. Draw us close to him. Help us to see him and all that he has done. Work the power of the cross and the empty tomb into our lives. We pray that all for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever wondered how we got here? Like, I mean, as a Christ Presbyterian church, have you ever wondered, like, how in the world did we get here? How, how did Christ Pres come into existence? How did it get here? Well, I want you to know that we get an answer to that. There's an answer. Of course, we can go all the way back to creation and remind ourselves that God has always had a people and he's always been building his church. But Acts 2 is a punctuation mark in God's plan in which this story that we just read together and are starting to understand together is our story. You wonder how we got here? It's because of what God has been doing in the world. It's what he did in Acts chapter two. This is our story and we gather here today as the spiritual descendants of what happened here in Acts two. It's pretty amazing. We are that connected to this story and these people. How we got here? God. We believe in a supernatural being who acts and who changes and works. It's what we just read about. So here's the point. It's the same one as last week. The point is the story continues and it grows in clarity. The story continues. This book of Acts in the New Testament is not a different story. It's not a new story. We don't start over. Acts in the New Testament is the continuation of the story. It's just that as we continue, the story gets clearer and clearer. So this morning, we're going to try to answer three questions as we look at Acts 2. Thinking about the story continuing, thinking about things becoming more clear. We're going to look at these three questions. What happened? What does it mean? And what do I do? What happened? What does it mean? And what do I do? So let's start with the first question. What happened? And because we can't cover everything, those of you that like to go back and read and study and think about what's said, uh, let me give you a quick framework of the whole chapter. So the first, um, the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 13, we see this story that we read about the Holy Spirit being poured out. In verses 14 through 36, Peter explains what it means. And then 37 through 47 is we have what the disciples and God's people were doing. That's the framework for the chapter. We just have to pick out a few things. So what happened? Well, two things in particular. The first one is the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. Remember we looked at that in Acts chapter one? Go and wait. And here they are in Jerusalem. Here they are praying. Here they are gathering together and the Holy Spirit is poured out. What does that mean? Well, we get three clues if you look at the text. Look at verse two. There's this rushing wind. Then there are these little tongues of fire in verse three. And then four through 11, you have all kinds of people were gathered together. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And those descriptions, the one of wind is meant to communicate something like this. 
there was a rush motion. It, it communicates power. It communicates something that is uncontrollable. We can't control the wind. We can't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into this building, into this place, and filled up people. It reminds us of what happens in this valley where there's a bunch of dead bones and the Holy Spirit comes and makes people alive. The Holy Spirit is bringing people to new spiritual life and it is uncontrollable and there's a lot of motion and it is powerful. And it's not just that. There's a sense in which when the Holy Spirit acts, it's not just that it's out of our control. We can't manufacture the Holy Spirit working. And it's not just that he's powerful, that's communicated by the wind, is that there's little, these little tongues of fire. You ever thought about fire? I don't know about you, but sometimes in the, uh, in the fall and in the winter, I love a good fire. I love a good fire. I love sitting out and watching a fire. I know, that's weird. But there's something that's beautiful about a fire, isn't there? There's something that's beautiful about fire. When the Holy Spirit works, there's something beautiful about it. There's also something that's kind of dangerous, isn't there? Because here's something and someone that is profoundly holy. And in the Bible, when fire is used, it's used to communicate something of refining and refinement, as if something is being burned off so that other things can grow. So when the Holy Spirit acts, it's not just that he is unbelievably powerful and we can't control or manufacture. It's that when he shows up, he starts refining things in our lives and makes us beautiful. And it doesn't feel very good sometimes because there's a lot of stuff that has to be burnt off in our lives. There's a lot of things that need to be redone and reworked. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit brings people together. And did you notice that there's all this mentioned about language? Did you notice that in the text? That these people started saying things in languages that they didn't know? I mean, look back at the text with me. If you look in verses four and following, it gets to the point in which uh, places are mentioned, particularly in verse nine and following. And what God is communicating with these all these people groups is this. Here's an example. Uh, Asia is representing people from Turkey in the north. Um, Egypt and Libya are representing people from the south. Cyrene is talking about those that live on the islands. Rome is representing people who are from the west. Cretans is representing people who are also from the islands. And the Arabians, those who are from the desert. And what is happening is all these people are coming together, multi-ethnic, multicultural, and they're all there, and the Spirit rushes in and changes all these people's lives, and he does that by enabling them to speak in language languages that they hadn't previously learned. So speaking in tongues is not how the Holy Spirit makes you talk funny. Speaking in tongues is specifically the message of the gospel is being declared in languages that people didn't know and they supernaturally began speaking them so that people understood what was being said in their own native language. So the point is not the speeches at all. The point is not the languages at all. 
The point is what they were saying was the gospel. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses to change people's lives is the message of the gospel. That's why you look in verse 11, what were they doing? They were declaring, look at the phrase, the mighty works of God. They weren't saying, hey, these are the teachings of Jesus and you need to follow these teachings and by follow these teachings, you can be a good person and if you're a good enough person, then God will accept you. No, they were declaring the works of God, that God acts, that God superintends, that God comes into our lives and convinces us and changes us of things. God works. He acts, and he did that through sending his own son. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in changing these people is that he's changing them through the message of Jesus so that people are talking about, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. He sent his own son, Jesus, was God and man, and he came to this place And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is being poured out and lives are being transformed and it is absolutely unable to manufacture it. Human beings cannot manufacture this. This is profoundly supernatural. This is profoundly an act of God himself and you can't stop it and you can't control it. But when God acts through the ministry of his word, People's lives are changed, always. Here's the second thing that happens, is people were cut to the heart. Did you notice that in verse 37? You see, when a message is being proclaimed about how much someone loves you to the extent that they are willing to die for you in your place, to endure all the consequences of every bad thought, word and deed that you've ever had, every selfish motive, that that gets people's attention. And when you hear that kind of message accompanied by the Holy Spirit, people are cut to the heart. Now, when you think about how we oftentimes like the Bible or like, maybe like things about the Bible, I don't know what, however you want to word that in your own life, isn't it true that so oftentimes we want a little bit of truth? Like we, we want a movie clip line from the Word of God, Right? Like, we want to hear something that makes us feel really good. We want to hear something that is uh, quotable, that we can, you know, kind of like a little little statement of truth, a condensed statement of truth. We just want something real short and don't want much more than that because we basically want to feel good. And I want you to understand that that's not what cut to the heart means. When this says that people were cut to the heart, it meant that someone actually got a hold of them. It meant that when we get cut to the heart, something has arrested us. I'm not talking about police here. I'm talking about a power and a force that is outside of us that gets a hold of us on the inside. and helps us begin to see ourselves for who we really are. And it is a power that we can't overcome. 
It's something that gets a hold of us to the point which we are beginning to understand how much we want control. And because something else has a hold of us on the inside, we begin to not only understand how much control we want, but how much we try to fight for that control. And because this being has a hold of us on the inside and we're understanding new things about control, it actually helps us get bored and tired of being in control and trying to keep control. When God comes into our lives, he deals with all that stuff inside of us in which we want to live for self and think our own ways and live our own path. And he begins to change us so that control isn't as tasty as it used to be. Because grace has gotten hold of us. And we begin to understand that our life is all about grace, not control. And the more that we understand God coming into our lives and wrestling with us in our minds and arguing with us with truth, we begin to understand I am not as good of a person as I thought I was. And I certainly don't have the control that I think I can get. And because of the grace of God, we begin to not want or crave control. We become able to admit how much we want control. And at the same time, we're beginning to recognize that, wow, everything is gift. All is grace. So that grace is actually controlling our lives and affecting how we think and we interact with other people. Not control, where we're trying to manage how other people think about us or project what we want other people to think. We just are who we are. And God is showing us that who we are is actually by nature, um, you know, a self-serving person who wants to rebel and actually wants to be worshiped. And God is changing that by grace so that we're not trying to worship ourselves, we're trying to worship him. So here they are, cut to the heart, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it means two things. The first is fulfillment. If you look in verse one, it's really neat. I know, I'm a geek. When the day of Pentecost arrived, do you see that arrived? Actually, it's when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Pentecost means 50 days. It had been 50 days since the resurrection of Jesus. And Pentecost on this day in Acts 2, as it was recorded, was fulfilled. It meant that God had a plan. And in time, in the fullness of time, when the time was right, this is what he did. On this day when the Spirit was poured out, it was in accordance with God's plan to fulfill all that he intended to do. And to add to that, Peter explained and clarified that so that 
when people were talking in different languages and communicating about Jesus and when this mighty rushing wind came in and started changing people. Peter experienced that and thought, I know what this is. This is exactly what God said he was gonna do back in the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel said in the last days, this is what would happen. Sidebar, we've been living in the last days since the first century. That's what it says right here. We've been in the last days since the first century. In the last days, the Spirit was going to come and change people, whether they were men, whether they were women, whether they were old, whether they were young, whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whether they were a child, whether they were an adult. God had planned to do this hundreds of years before Acts 2 was written. God had proclaimed, this is what is going to happen. The Spirit is going to come. And he is going to take what Jesus has done and the significance of the cross and he would bring that power into people's lives. And Peter presses further. It's not just Joel. If you go back and read uh, portions that we didn't read, Peter quotes the Psalms, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And he begins to lay out, remember the Spirit has done all this because of what Jesus has done. In verse 22, he talks about Jesus coming. Verse 23 and following, he talks about him going to the cross to die. He talks about Jesus rising from the dead, literally historically resurrected. He talks about Jesus ascending back to heaven. He talks about Jesus ruling as king. You see, Peter understands that the Bible is one story. Peter is interpreting what is happening through the lens of what God has previously said so that he sees the whole thing is connected, so he understands, oh, what's going on now is because God said it and Jesus accomplished it. Jesus really came and did these things, and this is why the Spirit has been poured out, because Jesus has actually done something, because God is a pursuing God, because he initiates relationships with people, he pursues people, and he saves people right here right here. There's no one who's too far gone. There's nothing that you have done that is a match for the grace of God. And there is no problem that you actually can fix yourself. So if you feel that you're broken and you sense in your heart this desire of uh, serving self and actually we're afraid to say it, but I really do want everybody to worship me. When you sense that, Oh, that's God working graciously in your life to help you see who you really are and who I really am. So we bring that to Jesus and see that he died for that. And he rose to give us new life so we don't have to live that way. All because God is graciously pursuing, initiating, and saving. Do you get it? Peter says, oh, I know what's happening. This is the same God. He's that intentional. He loves us that much that he said this was gonna happen and Jesus affected it. He effect, made all this possible through what he did. What does this mean? Fulfillment. Here's the second thing, reversal. Now hang on, hang on with this one. Hang, on, hang in there with me. Do you ever remember a time in the Bible in which people gathered together and in gathering together, they came together in a city. And in coming together in the city, they were going to build something. 
uh, a tower because they wanted to build their way to God. Do you remember this story? This is a story of, that's way, you can find it in Genesis 10. People come together, is it 10 or 11? I think it starts, I think there's a, I think it's 11. So God, so these people come together to build this tower up to God. And what does God do? Love it. He comes down. They've built this tower up to God and God comes down and he scatters them. How does he do that? He causes them to speak in other languages. Have you ever tried to build something with someone who speaks a different language than you? So all of a sudden you can't communicate. You can't understand them. They can't understand you. You can't work together. You can't, you can't do anything. God's scattered with languages. Do you see what's happening in Acts 2? God is reversing what happened in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, the people were proclaiming a message of self, self-fulfillment, self-actualization. This is how we can build ourselves up to God. We don't need God. This is how we can live serving ourselves. And God says that message only tears people apart. But here in Pentecost, God is using different languages to reach the nations because they're proclaiming the message of Jesus. Not a self-message, not a man-centered message, but a Jesus-centered message, the gospel, good news. And God is reversing Babel. He's going to the nations that were once scattered. Oh, not anymore. Now we get to help with those who are translating the word of God in all these various countries in different languages. We get to plant churches and, and establish the work of God all over the world. It's what Jesus has said was gonna happen. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Greenville, North Carolina. Remember that? God is reversing what happened way back because he's always had a plan. He's always had a people. He's always been building his church. And here he takes the very thing, the very thing, and reverses it so that his glory and his message goes everywhere, everywhere in the world so that people can hear the message of Jesus in their own tongue. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that we get to be part of that? Isn't it amazing that someone spoke the gospel to us in English and not Aramaic or Hebrew or Latin? Isn't it amazing that you got to hear the message of the gospel in a language that you could understand? That's our God. That's what he's been doing. Well, that leads us to what do we do? Well, when the people were cut to the heart, meaning they were just, they were ripped wide open. They were inside out. They, they knew that, oh, they were completely exposed. What, what do we do? What do we, what do we do? We're cut to the heart. And Peter says, well, you need to repent. By the way, this is something that we should grow in. Repentance is not a bad thing. If you've been in a, Christian environment in which you were taught that repentance is a bad thing because it means you did something bad, I'm sorry. We're all bad. We do bad stuff all the time. Repentance is us telling God why we need him. Repentance is telling Jesus, thank you for dying for this. 
Repentance is telling Jesus and the Father and the Spirit why we love them. Repentance is us turning from as much as we know of our own sin and brokenness and giving as much of ourselves to as much of God as we know. Repentance is us putting ourselves into the loving arms of God and acknowledging that we have forgiveness because of what Jesus has done and it's how we change. So what do we do? When we get cut to the heart and hear the message of the gospel, we repent. Matter of fact, we're trying to make a habit of it every week. That's why we have our confession of sin every week. It's part of the rhythm. It's the heartbeat of the Christian life is repenting and believing. And then he's not only repenting, but he says be baptized. We're not gonna get into all the particulars of that this week because there's something that he's highlighting for us. Look at what he says. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? Beloved, baptism is not your decision. Baptism is not the moment for you when you've made your thing, when you've done your thing. Baptism is when you abandon yourself and you realize that your identity is completely wrapped up in who God says you are because of what Jesus has done. Baptism is what you get to think about and look back and remember, oh yeah, I'm not my own. Baptism is when you get united into Jesus and all that he is is yours by grace. It's what you get to think about in those moments when things are not going great in your life. You get to think back to your baptism and say, oh, I have a new name. I have a new identity. I belong to Jesus. And all that he has done was on my behalf and for me. And it is all by grace. Baptism is when we take on a whole new identity. Baptism is when we get to celebrate all that God does and says through Jesus. So I guess I should ask you, is there any one of you that hasn't been baptized? Because if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. And if you have been baptized, maybe you can get in your mind, maybe this can become part of your life, especially when we baptize, but even when we don't, we're not baptizing this week. But maybe it's a time when you watch people get baptized in which you can improve upon your own baptism. A time in which you can remember, oh, yes, this is God pursuing me. This is God initiating relationship with me. Oh, this is a picture that God saves. Oh, this is where I get to remember that I love God because he first loved me. 
This is a moment in which I get to improve upon the reality that God has put me in. That he is the one that's changed me and pursued me. That he is the one that is changing. That he is the one that pursued me and graciously brought me to the awareness of who I am and my need. So whether you've been baptized, if you have been baptized, think about your baptism often. It's what God has given you as a resource to focus on him, not yourself. Remember, the abandoning of self and living into what he says because of Jesus. And if you've never been baptized before, if you made profession of faith, would love, would love to talk with you more about baptism and what that means so that you can receive the name and live into that new thing, living into the gospel. Well, then look at verse 42 and following. What do we do? Well, we repent. That becomes part of our rhythm of life. We think about baptism and reflect on our own baptisms and grow. And then look at 42. What are we gonna do? Well, there's a little list there in verse 42. Did you notice it? What were they doing? Paying attention to the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. It's not hard to understand that, is it? What do we do? Well, we make sure that we line up with the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine's important. Understanding doctrine matters. Thinking rightly about what God says and who he is and what he says about the world and what he says about us. Doctrine is important. Doctrine won't save you, but doctrine's important. It's important to think about the things of God. And breaking bread. Guess what? We're gonna do that in a few minutes right here. And I bet you'll also do it informally. I know you like to eat. And fellowship. Who are you reaching out to in your life? Who are you developing friendships with? Who are you pursuing? Who are you loving on? How are you building community and serving other people? The fellowship is important. And prayer. I know it doesn't sound like it's that important, but it is. We are absolutely out of our depth every moment of the day. And anytime we think that we're in control, we're not. Somebody's selling you something to control, it's false. Like prayer is the reminder that we are admitting we're not in control. God, I need you to help me with this problem. I'm trying to grow in my prayer life. I used to think that if I set aside uh, certain amounts of time at different portions of the day, that was a good thing. And you know what? I didn't do a great job of that. And I've been trying to improve in my prayer life. And that means that I think I pray uh, much shorter prayers, but I pray them frequently. Let me tell you what one of my prayers is. Lord, please heal me. That prayer didn't take very long, did it? Matter of fact, you might have prayed that one with me. What prayers are we saying to God? How are we talking to him? What are we supposed to be doing? Repenting, growing from our baptism, following the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread together, formally and informally, praying, being interested in community, and then look at verse 45, sharing with one another, if someone has a need, we try to meet that need. 
We can't meet everybody's need. None of us are the Savior. Only Jesus is. But we try to help one another. Beloved, this is what the church is. Repenting, baptizing, apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, prayer, fellowship, sharing with one another. This is what the church is. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is how the church reaches the world. This is how the church lives for the life of the world. And that's what brings us to the table.